I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday and happy October, friends. Yay! And happy birthday, Nia! You're right. This will be released the day after my birthday. I kind of forgot about that. Yep. Woohoo! <laughs> Everybody go out and have a drink for Nia, toast to Nia. It could be coffee. It could be whatever drink, but toast to Nia. Please do. Enjoy. It's on me. Just don't Are send you- me the bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's on me. Are you excited about this next trip around the sun? Oh my gosh. So thrilled. I mean, I'm anticipating big changes next year. What has been a couple of your highlights from this last year? Um, I'm alive. (laughs) Yay, you survived. Yep, leaving it there. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm really excited because by the next time we record, we will have gone on our birthday date to see the Van Gogh, the immersive Van Gogh experience. Yes. We will actually record before that again, but yes, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's true. We'll record that day. And, but that should be a lot of fun. We, I bought these tickets for us months and months and months ago. And I'm just glad that it's still happening. That it hasn't I know, right? I know. I mean, knock on wood, it could still happen in the next week. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And of course, you know, I bought them in May. I was like, oh, of course we'll be fine. Totally. Then. We're wrapping this pandemic pandemic up in the next couple months. No problem. <laughs> womp womp. Well, how was your weekend? Oh, we don't need to talk about weekends. <laughs> I know. Want to keep this nice and light. <laughs> I know. We were just uh, doing a little personal check-in before we hit record. And it's just so funny. Every week, you never know what uh, headspace we're going to be in. Last week, we were really great. The week before, we were a little down. This week, we're a little frazzled. Yeah. And it's only Monday. <laughs> and it's only Monday. <sighs> I have such a fucking busy week. Yeah. You have such a fucking busy week. Yeah. And it would have been great if, like, I, I can handle busy weeks when like the weekend beforehand is like time to refresh. Yep. I, I prepare, like I'll prep food in advance. I'll make sure my clothes are clean. Yep. Do all of the, that there was no time for any of that this weekend whatsoever. I don't even know if I have enough creamer to get through the week, which might be my downfall. Oh God. Isn't that just the worst when you wake up in the morning and either you find out that you don't have enough coffee or you don't have enough creamer? I was not a coffee drinker until about 10 years ago. It is genuinely one of the few things that can get me up in the morning. I Mm -hmm. love my cup of coffee. You do. It is a true pleasure of mine. And if I run out of creamer this week, I'm starting to get teary eyed thinking about it. I'm going to drop some off at your house. I'm going to make sure you have some birthday creamer, a new stash. So yeah, this, this week's going to be great. It's going to be fine. We're going to survive. We're going to get through it one day at a time. One day at a time. 
But hey, much more importantly, how was your weekend? Um, I don't know if it's much more important, um, but it was equally a shit show in the fact that it was it was delightful. I had so much fun. Um, got up to the mountains, got to see those beautiful aspens that we have mm. out here in Colorado. I mean, the scenery was just top notch. The weather was gorgeous. Um, however, <laughs> <laughs> we got stuck in traffic forever yesterday. Oh. So we didn't get home until late. And it just, it starts that domino effect, right? Totally. Like when you're expecting to have five additional hours to get ready for the week. Oh, God. And when you get home and it's already, you know, like an hour before bedtime for the girls. And no. it's like, oh my God, we don't even have like clothes. We're not unpacked. We don't have this. Um, so a little, a little crazy. And then on top of all of that, our, um, my daughters had major exposure to what we thought was someone who was COVID positive. They tested COVID positive on a take-home test. Turns out over the weekend, they did an actual real test, like at a drugstore doctor or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it came back negative. Mm. So the thought is maybe that take-home test was a false positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, doesn't matter to the school system. (laughs) They don't care. And I get it. They're like, we have to go with the positive case, like the positive test. Right. And just be extra cautious. So along with this busy week, I also have kids at home again the whole week. And I can confirm because moments before we started recording, Brittany started yelling down the stairs about putting a bouncy ball away. So I can tell the level of chaos at your house is at a, uh, it's like a pandemic homeschooling level. Exactly. I thought those days were behind us, but not so much. Surprise. Yeah. So we're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. I've got your birthday to look forward to. And I'm just going to keep my eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. Love it. Um, do you have a joke for us today? I do. Um, you know, folks, when I come up with these jokes, you know, they come just from my brain, um, which is a total lie. I always get them from the internet or somebody sends them to me. hundred percent lie. Yeah. But they're, I mean, they're, com- they're puns. That's why they're good jokes. And so plenty of people have come up with them. That's why I don't cite sources. Um, but this one I'm going to edit. Oh, you ready for this? By edit, do you mean like customize? I'm I'm going to uh, modernize slash equitize. Ooh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Here we go. Um, if colonizers traveled on the Mayflower, what do college students travel on? I don't know what. Scholarships. Ah! <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Which is a great tie-in, of course, to today's episode. It is. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about university fundraising. And this is a super fun topic because neither of us have done university fundraising. No, I know actually very little about it. Very, yeah. It's a, it's a whole different 
beast of sorts when it comes to fundraising. I mean, we even have different terms for it. It's advancement. It's not development. It's not fundraising. It's advancement. Advancement. And do you mind if I um, tell the quick story of how this came to be, this topic came to be? Sure. I don't even remember. Do it. So if you've been listening uh, to our podcast, then you might know that we are Big Ten. We are Big Ten all the way. And we are big fans of football, of college football. So I come from the great state of OHIO. Um, Mia comes from that smelly place up north. And my dad has season tickets to the Ohio State games. And so I was talking to my dad before the season started about his tickets. And um, I'll try to condense this. You don't need all the uh, details. But basically, he's an alum. He got offered tickets when he graduated every year, but as soon as you don't buy them, you lose them. You don't get access to them again. And it's really special because he was the last graduating class that was offered the full season. So after that, every um, person who graduated from Ohio State, they only get, I think, like two games, the, the offering of two games. So coveted, coveted. But what I found out from him, because this is going on 40 odd years of him doing this, is that every year um, it gets more and more expensive, but not just expensive in the cost of the tickets, Mm. but it also gets expensive because your seat placement or Mm. your uh, where you are in line to be able to choose your seats is actually not dependent on how much you pay for the tickets, but on how much you donate to the school. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And so I was naively shocked. I had no idea that they were forcing donations um, from these ticket buyers in order to increase their their seat odds, right? Mm -hmm. And that that expectation of donation gets higher and higher every year. Yes. And so it started a whole conversation with Nia and I around, well, but they're kind of getting something in return for this, right? They're making a quote unquote donation to the school, but then they're, they're getting better odds. Mm -hmm. So is that really a straight donation? Yeah. And then that spiraled into a whole conversation about university giving. Well, there's that side. There's also the side that we we've kind of hinted at and talked about a few times over too, was university endowments. Yes. And so we got to weave all of that together in a university fundraising context, especially in the context of the last year and a half, where there have some have been some big calls on universities to similar to foundations to deploy more of those endowment funds to support students who are really struggling. Right. Um, it's so funny. So we decided to do this episode a few weeks ago today. And since then I have received an appeal from a university Ooh. Um, and my husband almost threw it out. And I was like, no, no, I need that. And he was like, are you giving the money? And I was like, absolutely not, but I need it for the episode, <laughs> but I am going to tear it apart. Yes. Um, so Brittany, yes, we're, we're, uh, running into year end giving season. Folks mm-hmm. are working on their year end appeals. Yep. One of the most important things we do is segment it, right? Yep. 
we segment the donors based on ideally how they're involved with us, um, where they initially got involved with us, how they give so that that appeal can be very specific to their relationship with the organization. Yes. So did this university do that? No. Was it like dear spouse of one of our graduates? Oh, it's even worse. Um, I give to a specific program that this university runs. Okay. Um, I gave to this program in June. Okay. I get a generic as fuck appeal. It starts off, your support means our students can start the next chapter of their university story. I'm sorry. No, it doesn't. My donation means that educators are able to provide queer inclusive spaces because Mm -hmm. I restricted my donation to that program. Mm -hmm. But now university advancement has my name. They got my info. And so I'm being thrown in to all of their fundraising. And it's just the worst of the worst. I also just gave a few months ago. Do you, do you think that their research department, because that's, that's what always kills me about university fundraising is that they have entire departments whose sole, whole, their whole job is to data mine information about donors Yes, for their major gift officers or whomever. Yeah. And so I love when I'm talking to friends of mine that are in advancement and I talk about some of my struggles at my small human services nonprofit and they're like, well, you know, what does your wealth screen say? I'm like, like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, well, don't you know the blah, 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 blah. No, I don't know Mm -mm. any of that. I don't. I know you have, you have every single bit of information. So I would love to see their portfolio, like their Mm -hmm. uh, file on Nia Wasink. Well, it's funny because that pulls into the next piece. So what I read you was from like the generic, here's why to give piece. Mm -hmm. And then I get a personalized remit device and it's got my name and address. It has a gift string similar to the gift I gave with the opportunity to upgrade, of course. Nice. Mm-hmm. And it says, please use my gift for the specific program I gave to or All other. Right. Oh. So that's how they apparently segment it purely in the remit device. So is that a way they save money? I'm assuming. Um, I think it's a really poor fundraising and a waste of money because I'm never going to generically give to this university. I have no ties to it. I didn't go there. My husband didn't go there. I'm going to give to this program that one of their departments runs. Yeah. And so why send me an appeal that doesn't even mention it? What's interesting is we did an episode, however many ago, four episodes ago on the Giving USA data. Mm -hmm. And I remember university fundraising. I mean, it's one of the biggest areas that people give to. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like churches and universities. And hospitals. Those are the top three, which is funny. Actually, Vu pulled that out in today's blog post as well. Oh, did he? He was talking about how those big three skew our understanding of philanthropy and have organizations focus so much on individuals when it's those three that are giving, getting the massive, massive gifts. Interesting. Yeah. Which is a perfect segue then into endowments at universities. Yes. 
Okay. I, I need to apologize first to Brittany and then to all of our listeners. Oh, cause I started researching and then I went down the rabbit hole and I was sitting on the couch with my husband and I'm explaining these things to him. And actually we had a great conversation starting off with him saying, what's an endowment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of got a level set. Um, yeah. But by the end, he was like, it sounds like you just want to do an episode where you shit on Harvard. And I was like, I think deep down, that's what I want to do, but I'm not going to. So so what's the apology that you're not going to shit on Harvard? That I have very Harvard centric data. (laughs) Oh, which was the very first nonprofit in the United States. Great. I found that out. That would explain why they have the largest endowment of all colleges and universities in the U.S. A hundred percent. I mean, it's like the large, their endowment is like bigger than all of them combined. Not really. So it feels like that. Their endowment is bigger than the GDP of Uganda, Bolivia, or Nepal. Oh, God. Can you fucking believe that? That's disgusting. In 2020, the endowment for Harvard was $41.9 billion. Oh my God. What are they doing with that money? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Harvard has a lot to say about what they do with it. Um, In their most recent financial report that they give publicly, and I will absolutely link to all these resources in the show notes. um, Last year, they gave $414 million to students in financial aid. Okay. Um, they also use it to provide um, some capital improvements, some uh, also some faculty um, salary kind of stuff. I, I mean, they, they give some, some indication of where they use it. But this was the thing that I really went down the rabbit hole on. <laughs> Say it. I'm, I'm like with, I'm, yeah. Bated breath. Bated breath. That's what I was looking for. So, you know, I'm I'm doing the Googles. I'm checking things out. I'm on GuideStar and I come across the Harvard Management Company, which is a nonprofit. Oh, no. I'm like, what the fuck is the Harvard Management Company? Their mission statement is to provide investment management services to Harvard University. So it's an entire nonprofit dedicated to managing the endowment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Guess how much Harvard paid the Harvard management company? How much? $138 million. <laughs> In one year? In one year. $138 million? Yes. Well, and you could easily spend that when nobody in the C-suite makes less than $1.8 million. Holy shit. This is, this is the shit that like blows my mind. So um, in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, they added this provision that if, you're, if you have staff at a nonprofit that makes over a million dollars, they get taxed at the corporate rate. Right. I just don't even understand. Like, I, I mean, I can't fathom working for a nonprofit and making over a million dollars a year. Like that, it seems like an oxymoron. Well, that's where this goes. So- they had so many people making in excess of a million dollars that the Harvard management company had to pay $8.7 million in taxes for those fucking salaries. Shut up. No, I will not. 
I just don't understand how this shit's lawful. Well, that's why they changed it in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was to try to tamp down on that. But when you're this big, it doesn't fucking matter. But how can they even claim to be a nonprofit? Like they're financial advising, basically, right? Yeah, but it's to the benefit of a university. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I did think was really interesting, though. So I read through this whole financial report that Harvard University put out and uh, they call out this piece. Um, and I just want to read it so I don't get it wrong. Again, this is directly from Harvard University. You can find this on their website. The recently passed Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has imposed new taxes upon, among other things, our endowment and is estimated to cost the university approximately $50 million this year. This new burden is approximately equal to 1% of revenues or viewed in the context of maintaining affordability, less money is now available for the university to maintain financial aid which Shut totaled up. 193 million for undergraduates this past year. Shut up. They're using the tax cuts as an appeal for more yes. money. <laughs> it's so bad, Brittany. We pay these people too much money and now the government wants more money for us. So we can't do financial aid. Oh my God. That was the point that I almost slammed my computer down to be like, what the fuck? So this is a shit on Harvard episode. A little bit. A little <laughs> tiny bit. Oh my God. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And infuriating. I mean, when you have an endowment of that size, yes, you're going to need management. Yeah. You're not calling up your local community foundation to be like, hey, can you, <laughs> can you handle $41.9 billion? Because they're going to be like, no, let me call Nepal and see how they manage their GDP. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole, like this pandering for more money because managing your endowment is going to cost more blows my fucking mind. That's insane. Yeah. But it works. It seems to work. Who's giving to them? Alumni. Almost exclusively. (sighs) All right. Here's the deal. I really enjoyed my college experience, but I just don't have any desire to give back to my college. Does that make me a horrible person? No. I mean, I just feel like as long as there's still, I don't know, like people living on the streets and children that don't have three nutritious meals a day and all these other things that we don't have in our world, you know, care for different cancers, you know. I just, I'd rather put my money towards that. I, I think that makes total sense when you're, especially talking about these universities with these huge endowments who could fix their problems by just taking more money from the endowment. Right. Exactly. That's the thing that I don't get. Like, you know, when we talk about endowments in a human services context, like this was, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months ago. There was kind of this hemming and hawing of like, oh, it feels kind of awkward and inappropriate to be locking funds up in an endowment for problems we could solve today. Like we're, we're saving that money for tomorrow's problems, even though right. they're today. From a university perspective, I can see like, yeah, we're going to need education in perpetuity. You're going to need scholarships in perpetuity. There, there's some logic in that. But I don't think anybody ever expected them to get this big. Right. Exactly. And so- This is where like, it just, it drives me nuts that university fundraising is so big. 
and that they they can bring all of this new money in while having huge returns on these massive endowments and still say like they can't afford more financial aid. Right. Well, and that's where that, what did you say? $414 million in scholarships or financial aid, but mm-hmm. like, how much does it cost to go there? Yeah, seriously. I mean, a gajillion dollars just to even go there. So of course people are going to need help. And so, yeah. I don't know. It's like they create they they create their own problem and then claim that they're trying to help people and help solve it. And that that doesn't really make sense to me either. Yeah. Well, let, let's pull in last year. Um, so again, the call was universities tap into your endowments, like get the extra money you need so that students can keep going. I've got a report here from Nukubo, which I'm quite sure is not meant to be said as a word and is just an acronym, but I'm going to call it Nakubo, um, where they, they do an annual survey and all this data analysis on university endowments. So in 2020, endowment spending did increase from the prior fiscal year. Okay. Which is great. Great. At what rate do you think it increased? 10%. That, that would be a start, totally. Right. 4%. <laughs> Yeah. So um, this uh, 70% of institutions increase their endowment spending in some way, shape or form. I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Everything, I think with the pandemic and then, you know, kids who were supposed to go to school and then they were going to have to do it online. And then they were deciding, I don't want to spend that kind of money for an online experience so maybe I'll go to a community college for a couple of years and then transfer or whatnot. I just think that the whole idea of a four-year university mm-hmm. is shifting, you know, that people are, you know, especially when you have everybody in our generation with just like massive amounts of student loan debt, Right. it's, you can't help but say, is it really worth it? Like, is it worth my kid having the same thing and being burdened by this? Right. And so, um, I don't know. I I just would love to see kind of 10, 20 years in the future. And if our four-year institutions are really going to be as coveted as they have been. And look, I get it. They do a lot of research. And, um, and so I, I want to recognize that as well, but when you're talking about billions of dollars, Mm -hmm. billions, I mean, it's going above and beyond any good that's coming from it. Totally. I feel like, so this isn't just a Harvard being shit on episode. I should give you the other four top endowments. Yeah. Let's shit on them too. Yeah. I mean, equal opportunity shitters. Yeah. So in second place, we have Yale with Mm -hmm. 31.1 billion. Mm -hmm. Can I guess them? Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Yale. I'm saying, I just assume that they're going to be all the IVs. So Stanford. No, no. Princeton. Yes. Number three. Okay. 25.9. Okay. Um, so we have Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Mm, And now I don't know. University University of Michigan? No, we're not (laughs) Ivy. And actually, I'm so sorry. You were right. Stanford was number three. Oh. I messed up. See? Okay. Let me read them in order. Start over. Start over. Start over. Apparently, I can't follow what you're saying and read a chart 
at the same time. But it happens. It's okay. hard to multitask. So Harvard. At your age. Fuck off. <laughs> Harvard's in first place. 41.9 billion. Yale is in second with 31.1 billion. Stanford is in third, 28.9 billion. Princeton in fourth with 25.9 billion. MIT is in fifth. Oh, oh MIT. Poor, poor folks. They're, all, they're down in the teens. Only $18 billion in their endowment. $18 billion. Holy crap. Yeah. So all these people are going to these schools and then getting careers, assumingly like finding great careers and then giving all this money back to the school. Yes. Yeah. I remember my grad school, the last day, like where you're turning in all your books and shit like that. They had a table an advancement table set up Mm -hmm. and they're like, so can we like sign you up to be a monthly donor or something? And I'm thinking, I have like $60,000 I have to pay you. No, no. you're not going to get any additional money from me until I pay my student loans off. Yeah. And I don't know when that's going to happen or if it ever will. So it, might not. it probably won't. Mm-mm. Well, that's another great point where we can shut on Harvard some more. So in this same financial report, they say in fiscal year 2019, Harvard received current use gifts. So current use gifts versus endowment gifts. They, mm-hmm. That's how they separate them in this report. Current use gifts from alumni, foundations, and others totaling $472 million, representing approximately 8% of operating revenues. Support for the university comes from donations of all sizes. 80% of gifts in fiscal year 2019 averaged $150 per donor. We are grateful to all donors whose generosity enables Harvard to create a vibrant culture of ap- academic discovery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love, I mean, that's some good fundraising right there. Like we're going to take, that's we're going to, we're going to remove the top 20%, like pretend that doesn't exist. So we can get an average gift that actually seems attainable. That's wholesome. I bet if they added the rest in, it would not be so much. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel differently when my kids are of college age. I mean, let's flash forward 10 years and my daughter decides that she wants to go to Harvard and I'm doing a campus visit. Maybe I'm all in. If you start to have that inkling, you call me and I will (laughs) cure you of it. All right. I want to make a distinction because I have friends that are in college advancement that I don't want this to come across as we're shitting on them. This has nothing to do with the fundraisers. I mean, not segmenting appropriately. Yes, they could do better. But like this endowment stuff, this is the top highest echelon of the universities making these decisions. I have had friends in advancement who said even last year, like, I don't understand why they aren't doing this differently. I don't Mm -hmm. understand why they're putting all this pressure on us to make up the funds that aren't coming in traditionally when people don't have the money or they're just not giving at that level or they're giving elsewhere. So this is really like a solidarity with advancement officers kind of episode. I think I said this in a previous episode, I um, did a program for aspiring development professionals. And I was out of 16 of us, I was one of the only ones from a small human services nonprofit. Most people were from a university, they're a major gift officer. Um, or from a hospital. 
And I'll never forget, they had us do the exercise, um, go to the chalkboard and draw out your org chart (laughs) and where you are in comparison to like the board, you know, and mine took like two seconds. Right. Right. It was like me, CEO board done. And I looked over at my colleagues org charts and I'm like, holy shit, what is that? It's like an Ikea schematic. It totally is. It was so complicated. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, they have way much, like so much more hierarchy, so much more just like corporate structure. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's a completely different beast that I know very little about. Yeah. Um, that reminds me, I was in a training years ago. And uh, the presenter was some sort of major gifts officer at a research institution, like medical research attached to a university. So it had both kind of that like hospitally fundraising vibes, uh-huh, but also uh-huh. university. Um, and she's talking about her major gifts, moves management program. Um, and at one point she said, yeah, um, so in my portfolio of 30 and somebody shoots their hand up and they're like, I'm sorry, did I miss, did I misunderstand are you only working with 30 people like every month, every quarter? She was like, no, that's my portfolio for the year. And you could hear this like audible gasp in the room of everybody being like 30. Yeah. 30. Yeah. Cause they all have portfolios of what? Like 150 minimally. Yeah. And they're also running the gala and the year end mailing and all the other things. And it's really cutthroat. You know, when they, when they talk about like assists, like, so, you know, I'm in one department, you're in another department, but we have a donor that like bridges both departments and I've got this relationship and I'm cultivating this gift. And then you help me out. And then who gets the win for it and who gets the assist and like the fighting over that. And, oh my God, it's so, it seems so stressful. Yeah. I mean, it seems so, um, outputs driven too. not like financial outputs, but like how many calls have you made? How many donor visits have you had? How many prospects have you reached out to? Well, I was, um, mentoring this woman who had done university fundraising and we were talking about the same thing and how, you know, the whole conversation fundraising is about relationships, but when you're doing it at that level and you're held to a standard of, of what you're saying, of like hitting these goals of outputs, you're forcing the relationship. And she's yeah. said like, there's so many times when I knew it was not probably a good time to be contacting this person, but I was being forced to do so from the university because that was like in the moves management plan. Yeah. And I had to make sure that I kept pushing them along. Mm-hmm. But even though I knew from a personal standpoint that it wasn't going to be successful and probably could even be potentially detrimental to the relationship. Totally. Yeah. I a hundred percent feel that. Ah, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, it is a hard job, which is why they also get paid pretty well. I, every time my university advancement staff call me for a donation, I always respectfully decline. And I tell them um, that they're doing a great job. I'm sorry. I'm still paying off my student loans, but I really appreciate you asking me. And, um, that was like a really effective ask, but it didn't work. I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know we're going to have some listeners 
on this who are going to be like, yeah, I get it. Endowments, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, their endowments probably performed worse last year. So I got some data to that. And I I just want to head that off. So more than 40% of reported institutions endowments cash flow did decline. Um, New gifting in fiscal year 2020 declined by 16%. So they were definitely hit by a lot of the things that we're seeing more broadly. But let's hear it. I see your smile. She's smirking for everyone who can't see her. I'm definitely smirking. More than 80% of endowments said their institution sought CARES Act funding. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Now, I cannot back this one up, but if the Harvard Management Company got CARES Act funding to fund their $8.5 million CEO's salary and you still give to them, fuck the fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Nia Wasink breaking it down. That's ridiculous. Ah, there's just so much wrong in philanthropy. I mean, we didn't even get into like how those investments are managed. Like there's been a whole big coverage recently about Harvard divesting from oil and fossil fuels, which yay. I mean, when you, when you've got that amount of money, it actually does make a big difference when you divest. Yep. Yep. Um, and it took them till this month of this year to fucking do it. Right. Um, but I mean, like that's a whole nother episode and we should probably do one on nonprofits in general with investment accounts and endowments and how those are managed and Mm -hmm. how sometimes the funds actually go against the mission that is trying to be (laughs) supported through the organization and kind of like counteracts it. Um, but all of that to say university fundraising is a hell of a beast. Um, in comparison to most of the organizations that you and I have worked with and that a lot of our listeners have worked with, it strikes me that like this piece that I got from our from this university is probably indicative of this broader system that doesn't have the capacity to personalize things for donors at my size. Yeah. So that's where like human services organizations, these, these small little, you know, million dollar budget, half a million dollar budget organizations can make a difference to donors. Like if I got one of these from one of my local nonprofits, it would have gone straight in the trash because I wouldn't have done an episode about it. But if I get something that's really personalized and says, Hey, thanks for giving to this program. Here's what we're doing. Would you give again? I definitely would have considered a second gift right now. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that another area that we didn't even get into is I, though we kind of started in that and then we went to endowments, but is in the whole university athletics fundraising. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, can oh we just God. like real briefly talk about that and the amount of money university athletics put into trying not to allow um, players to get paid? Exactly. Exactly. I just, I, it's like all these different areas. This isn't really athletics. So it kind of is, but a friend of mine was telling me that she wanted to get a, um, a what's that called license plate that from her university or that had the university logo on it or something Mm -hmm. like that. 
And in order to even get that, you have to show a receipt at the DMV that you have given a donation of at least $100 to the university first. What? Oh, man. What? That's so messed up. Yeah. I don't know. We could go on and on, but I would love to hear from you if you're in advancement. Um, we can keep it anonymous. You don't have to tell us what university, but we would love to know from you, what's it like? Um, what's it like to have that massive complicated org chart? Yeah. (laughs) And all these different committees and boards and deans and I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear what it's actually like because what I typically hear are people on the periphery of that um, and their experiences attempting to interact with advancement, um, like this program that I donated to and their attempts to get the advancement department for their larger department to support their program and how challenging that is because of all these structures we're talking about, because of this like outputs focused driven structure. Um, I would also love to know, like if you're in advancement, does this endowment shit bother you too? Or is it just me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I think even about, um, you know, all the naming rights and at universities and and the story that we did about the journalist who's going to UNC and how that one donor whose name was on the journalism school was able to have the sway and sway the board to not give her tenure. And it's just um, so icky. Yeah. I think a lot of it can feel real icky and that's gotta be hard. Cause I'm the, the folks I know in advancement are really tied to like important um, medical discoveries. And like, they, they really believe in some of the work coming out of it, but you're also working in the system that is certainly not equitable. Right. And can often be really harsh on fundraisers. Yes. Yes. So we want to hear from you. How can they contact us? Email us nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. Don't forget to support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.